I'm Evan Smith of the Texas Tribune, and let's begin by pouring one out for any hope of drama in the weeks between the end of the election season and the start of the legislative session. The first open race for Speaker of the Texas House of Representatives in 25 years turns out to have been not very dramatic after all. Boring, even. Too bad those of us in the business of fight promotion were angling for Ollie Frazier, a down-to-the-wire brawl. Instead, we got Cooney Norton. This thing was over in round one. Barring something unforeseen, State Representative Dennis Bonin, Republican of Angleton, will claim the title belt without breaking a sweat. Although we got in the race late, joining a handful of Republicans and one Democrat in seeking the most powerful office in the state not popularly elected, within a few days of Election Day, he calmly and quickly locked up many more than the 76 votes necessary to succeed Joe Strauss as the presiding officer of the House. He has only two more hurdles to clear, and both are formalities. A vote of the House Republican Caucus ratifying him as their choice on December 1st. That may have already happened by the time you listen to this. And then a vote of the full House on January the 8th, the first order of business when the 86th legislature gavels in. Before we crown a new heavyweight champion, and that's the last boxing reference, I promise, let's ask and answer the big questions. Who is Dennis Bonin, and what will his rapid ascent mean for Texas? Of course, we know him. He's a veteran state lawmaker, 11 terms in the House, chairman of the All-Important Ways and Means Committee, speaker pro tem, former chair of the Sunset Commission, banker by profession, tough guy by disposition, or at least guy who knows how to make a fist. Respected, feared, admired. Of course, it's one thing to be an influential and powerful chairman, and it's another to be the person in charge. And that's where the speculation necessarily kicks in. The man himself hasn't said too much so far about what he's going to do, or how he's going to do it, or in what order. We're a ways away from knowing who will lead committees, or how exactly he'll work with those to the right of him and the left of him, or what the affect of Bonin's house toward Dan Patrick's Senate is going to be, or what Bonin's affect himself toward Patrick himself is going to be. And so we turn to the Bonin whisperers. A little while ago on the afternoon of November the 29th, I sat down with three enthusiastic members of Team Bonin to talk about his all-but-certain speakership at the Tribune's day-long preview of the 86th legislative session. Drew Springer, a Munster Republican who emerged early on as a booster of Bonin's designs on the corner office. Jeff Leach, the Plano Republican, who might be described as Bonin's ambassador to Freedom Caucusstan the chief emissary to the far right of his party, charged with convincing his fellow movement conservatives that they can trust the new guy to give them and their legislative priorities a fair shake. And Mary Gonzalez, a take-no-crap Democrat from El Paso, who despite being no one's idea of a conservative, saw in Bonin someone progressives could deal with and work with in a spirit similar to their relationship with the last speaker. The conversation you're about to hear is the second episode of a podcast my colleagues at the Tribune and I are launching formally in January. It's called Point of Order. We'll see you each week once the gavel comes down in a few weeks. For now, I hope you enjoy this preview of the kinds of conversations we have planned. It was recorded live at the Eder Harbin Alumni Center on the campus of the University of Texas at Austin. Point of Order is presented by H&K Strategies. 
Around the clock and around the world, Hill & Knowlton Strategies harnesses the power of the public in today's uncertain times. Learn more at hkstrategies.com. And by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Learn how Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas is addressing what matters for the health and well-being of Texans at bcbs.com. We, we like to say, I mean, we in journalism and we royally like to say at election time that every presidential election in particular is about the next four years to eight years ostensibly, but it's really about the last four years to eight years. So before we talk about Speaker Bonin, I'm going to ask you to talk about Speaker Strauss. Mr. Springer, is there a problem you're trying to solve? Is there a problem you need to solve? No, I mean, I thought I was very well treated under Joe. Um, in Joe's leadership, we did pass three conservative budgets. Um, but there are some things I think we want to see going forward that we have talked about, which is, you know, we want to see more member driven. We want to be more part, see a broader breadth of the whole entire body in there. And, and I think that that's what we were looking for. If but I were the, the speaker, I would push back, Mr. Springer, and say, I told you at the beginning of my five terms as speaker that I run the house by the will of the members. You're suggesting that somehow the members don't have enough say in the byproducts of a session. That goes against what I so said to you and told you would be my affect toward you all. No, I mean, and in, in the members do. I mean, we run, we do those type of things, but there was also much more outside influence that I think that we would rather see most of the influence come from the 150 members that are inside the body, that are the elected officials that represent those 165 thousand citizens constituents of our district to the delight of ms gonzalez and mr leach i'm going to stay with you and push you on this <laughs> who exactly is the outside influence you're referring to name names you know you know I... <laughs> you've been bugging me I to have you at an event so are you like... sorry I'm sorry. You've been bugging me to have, me have you at an event. Are you sorry that I invited you today? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, I did two trib talks now in the last uh, two months. Maybe the, the, the third one was not the lucky charm. No. Apparently not, yeah. Um, no, no, seriously, I mean, what, 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 I mean, who are you talking about? You know, we're, we're talking about consultants. We're talking about lobbyists. Uh, you know, we're talking about staff. We want to see that we're dealing with members that are accountable to the members on the floor um, when each of us have our own legislation going forward. So the problem, just in sum, is that the speaker did not sufficiently protect you all and push back against outside influences that might seek to, to pollute the process. You know, it, we, everybody has their own style. Um, they have those people that they lean on. We want to see going forward that we're leaning on our other members to make sure everybody, all factions of the 150 are well represented. And I think Dennis is a good choice of that. Ms. Gonzalez, you had 55 Democrats in the last session. You had as many under Speaker Strauss as 74. Then you went down to 49, I believe, which was a, a significant uh, departure from the previous session. Came back up. Did Democrats, whatever the number, feel well treated by Speaker Strauss? Did you have a problem to solve or something to fix? Well, the problem to solve was that he retired and we needed a new leader. And so I think that, I think the Democrats would have been happy to have Speaker Strauss come back again, of course. I think that we would have done some things differently, obviously. But we, we, I do think for the House in, to, in totality, um, a new change in leadership will be great. What were, what were the aspects of the Strauss speakership that you felt could be improved upon? Maybe let me ask it a slightly different way. So if you're identifying, if you're, if you're building the perfect beast going forward, 
based on your experience of the last 10 years, or in your case, the last fewer than 10 years, since you've been in fewer than 10 years, what aspects of the Strauss speakership would you be looking to improve on if you're building the perfect speaker? For me, I, am, I love the legislature. I really respect my colleagues, even if they think different, differently than me. They sacrifice so much. They leave their families, their jobs. And so if we're going to sacrifice so much, I want to see outcomes, right? And I think specifically in the last two to four years, the House was really dominated by a culture of fear. And so my next speaker, and I think uh, Chairman Bonin will do this, is change the culture to be a culture of leadership, of courage, where the issues aren't determined by Republican primaries, but more by the needs of the state of Texas. And he's already done that when you can see him talk about school finance number one. And so um, for me, a rock star speaker is a speaker who changes the culture back to the way it used to be, that wasn't about party, that wasn't about anything but first, the needs of Texas as a whole. Mr. Leach, the movement conservatives in the Texas legislature not all are members of the Freedom Caucus, although you were, and you consider yourself one of those folks, expressed over time dissatisfaction with the way the Speaker treated them and their legislative priorities. Did their bills get an adequate hearing? Did they get an up or down vote? Were they themselves given the opportunity to contribute in the way that non-movement conservative Republicans or non-Freedom Caucus Republicans um, contributed? Is that a fair characterization of the view of you and some of your colleagues with regard to the last speaker? Well, I'm, I'm not going to attempt to speak today on behalf of any of my colleagues. I'll tell you my position, and I don't think it's any secret to you, Evan, um, that my relationship with Speaker Strauss, with Joe, has been a roller coaster. Um, it's had its ups and downs. I respect him and Julie and their family immensely for their public service. Uh, much good has come from his service. I mean, look, Texas is unique among the 50 states. Uh, we're in a stronger position than I think any other state, and Speaker Strauss has served as our speaker for the past 10 years. So he gets credit, at least in part, for that. Do you agree with Mr. Springer that he passed conservative budgets session after session? I, I think that conservative budgets passed under his leadership. I'll put it that way. You're going to use the passive they – um, they taught you the passive voice at Baylor? Is that what happened? No. What, I, what I'll say is in, 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 in 2013, I was extremely frustrated with the way the House was run, with um, the, the, how I felt conservatives – uh, were silenced and backbenched. Um, that's not a feeling that I hold alone. And then in 2015, you know that I, I delivered the nomination speech for um, Speaker Strauss's opponent, Scott Turner, my dear friend, um, since retired from Collin County. And then 2015, I thought was a great session. And so in 2017, this past legislative session, we came back. There was no speaker's race. We were all united in supporting Speaker Strauss. And 150 to nothing, right? That's Vote right. And, but I, I don't think there's any disagreement among Republicans and Democrats. All of us can find some sense of, of very real, deep frustration after right. this past legislative session. I'm not placing all the blame on Speaker Strauss. But the House um, could have been operated better, could have been run better to better represent um, and advocate for the voice of Texans all across this state. Mr. Springer, you were an early advocate for Chairman Bonin as Speaker, correct? Yes. He got in the race late. You had Chairman Price, Chairman Darby, Chairman Zerwas. You had Chairman Parker. You had Phil King in that race. Eventually you had Travis Clardy in that race. Clearly you found the other people running for Speaker to be lacking in something or to be less attractive to you than Mr. Bonin did. Can you tell us what about Mr. Bonin scratched your itch 
as a speaker candidate since you were, I mean, you were, you're, you are one of those who was earliest in promoting his candidacy and in gathering others to, to support it. 76. He could get to, he 76, could get to 76 and they couldn't? No, it, they, I, absolutely they couldn't. I think it was a did, math problem. I mean, we had people running that were good friends, great candidates that were not getting traction to get people to get behind them. And a, a group of us got together and we says, you know, who do we think that represents us to let members run the legislature that we think can win, that can bring parties together, not only within the Republican Party, but we wanted somebody who would also work with Democrats. As I said in Abilene uh, at the trip talk out there, I said, we would not select a Repu in Republican caucus a speaker that would not show that they could work with Democrats. Now, the, there's probably a limit to that, Mr. Springer. There are Democrats who will tell you that the Democrats would have been happy to attach themselves to Fort Price or attach themselves to John Zerwas, and it's possible that one of those folks could have been elected with a handful of Republicans, 60-odd Democrats, and gotten to that 76 that you called out. But you wouldn't have liked it if the next speaker had been elected with a majority of Republic, uh, with the Democrats, not Republicans. That's exactly right. I mean, uh, so it wasn't just getting to 76, but it had to be the right 76. It had to be the right 76. And, and we wanted to see, once again, somebody that can let the whole house work. And that means you are going to work with both parties. Yeah. Ms. Gonzalez, you were part of the group that broke away from the 67 Democrats to sign on with Mr. Bonnet. I think it's more complex than that. Well, I'm all about shorthanding. We only have an hour. Um, <laughs> But basically, when Mr. Bonin came out with his list of 109, there were 30 Democrats on it, of which you were one. Why did you decide he was the right choice for you? You had a Democrat who was running for speaker, as unrealistic but as the, the outcome. The Democrat was also not on the win, list. Was not going to win. I know that. But he was also unrealistic as the likely winner in this kind of house. But you had other candidates running for speaker. Why was he, why was he somebody who you were willing to sign on with? I think it's a combination of what Drew said. There was a 76 number. There was the reality. But for me... I live in a district, I have 263 colonias in my district. There are people in my district that can't flush their toilets, don't have clean water. Like, I don't leave my hometown of Clint, Texas to come up here and not work. I work very hard, as most of you in this room know, to, to really fight for the needs of my constituents. As the landscape started to change, I, I saw that Speaker Bonin, Chairman Bonin, was really making the moves to bring together Democrats and Republicans. And for me, who wants to change the conditions of my district, it just seemed like I would rather be part of the circle, talking about these issues that sometimes get ignored, than outside of the circle. And I've been really proud. I mean, look at what he did. He created a bipartisan committee to select the new, to select the new uh, parliamentarian. That is um, new, different, and actions speak louder than words in this case. And so there was a pragmatism to your decision. If the train's leaving the station, as we've said a couple times today, better to be on it than left on the platform. Fair, right? but I think it was right. more than pragmatism. But you and Mr. Bonin don't agree on a lot of core issues, correct? Me and Drew Springer and Jeff Leach don't agree don't on a agree. lot of core issues. Yes, but as far as I know, you were not thinking of supporting either of them for speaker. The fact uh, is, you, you, you might agree with Joe Strauss more on issues than you did with Mr. Bonham. Here's what I do agree with. I agree that school finance should be the thing we get done next session. Right. I agree that he, um, we, that the speaker should be elected in a bipartisan fashion. I believe that we should have a fair process um, in the legislatures that all our bills get heard, the members' issues are put forward. All of that was things that Speaker Bonham was talking about. Was it pragmatic? 
Yes, but it was also because he was saying things that I needed to hear in this moment. I think the house needs courage. I think that the house needs authenticity. I think the house needs to work on real issues, and he was talking about those things. Did he make any assurances to you, Ms. Gonzalez, about Democratic committee chairs and a proportion of the house being... uh, uh, a portion of the chairmanships being doled out to Democrats based on their proportion in the legislature. Not specifically to me, but here's what he did say. He did say that Democrats would be part of the conversation. Will they be part of the leadership? I did not ask that question. Mr. Springer, do you have any problem if Democrats are part of the leadership? No, yeah, absolutely not. And, and I know that Dennis came out and said that well before yes. um, when when there was probably only you know less less than 50 uh, Republicans already yeah. on had already said that he would commit to that. And I'd said that same comment in Abilene. Absolutely. And right. it's one of the things that I think that makes Texas work well. Uh, and I, I've said it in all my town halls. I, I work probably the closest with Pancho Navarro. He has 35,000 square miles. I have 25,000 combined. We almost represent a quarter of the state of Texas. That's 90% of the things we pass affect rural and, and, and Mary and I worked together hugely on those in ag and livestock. And so, you know, they, they have done a fantastic job. I think Tracy King's done a great job uh, when I was in uh, ag and livestock under right. him. Mr. Leach, do you see any reason why Democrats should expect to be treated uh, differently under Mr. Bonin than under Mr. Strauss in terms of leadership, committee chairs, and all that kind of stuff? Are you good with what the plan seems to be here. Absolutely. Mary Gonzalez should be able to represent her district as vigorously and passionately as Jeff Leach is able to represent his. Right. And I don't know a single conservative. I'm sure there are some out there. um, But the conservatives I know, both in the House and the the leaders um, statewide out of the House, um, believe very strongly that we should fight like hell to make sure that Mary Gonzalez can passionately represent her district, not only in committee or in the back rooms, but on the floor of the Texas House of Representatives. And that is the role of the speaker, is to serve the members, to ensure that they're able to uh, effectively be the voice of and the advocate for the constituents that elected them. And so if I get any sense um, next session, I don't believe this will happen because Representative Bonin, I think, has has um, has said this won't happen. That um, if there's any sense next session that Mary Gonzalez is being kept from representing her district, and I'm using you as an example, or being silenced, or backbenched, um, or punished in any form or fashion, then um, we'll have a fight on our hands. One of the reasons I'm so excited to support Dennis Bonin is because I don't believe, very strongly don't believe, that that's going to happen under his leadership. You think he'll be fair to everybody? I absolutely right. do. So, so I asked Ms. Gonzalez about the Democrats making a, 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 an accommodation or making peace with the idea of Mr. Bonin as speaker. You come from the other side, in theory, or you and many of your colleagues in the Freedom Caucus might have likewise viewed Mr. Bonin with skepticism. I've described you as the um, ambassador to Freedom Caucus stan of the Bonin administration because you were an early you were an early supporter of Mr. Bonin's and you also worked hard to get other members of the Freedom Caucus to sign on. It wasn't entirely clear that that would happen, but you were successful in getting I believe all but one or one or two to join with you all. So what is it from the conservative side that made you comfortable with Mr. Bonin? I've asked Ms. Gonzalez to talk to us from her side. Tell us from your side. For from my side, um, I've served with Dennis for 3 sessions now. And Dennis and I don't agree on everything. And you know what? That's okay. 
that's that's actually uh, re really reassuring um, because there's 150 strong voices on the floor of the Texas House and on any number of issues where there might be disagreement. Um, but Representative Bond, and I care a lot about process, Evan, and in this business on the floor of the Texas House and the Senate and in the Capitol building, which is your building, by the way, it's your house, not ours, trust is the coin of the realm. And I want a leader in the Texas House that I can trust. And with every bit of my being, I trust Dennis Bonin to says what he's going to do and to do what he says he's going to do. Mr. Springer, uh, one of the things about presumptive Speaker Bonin that has been commented on a lot is his personality. This is a guy who doesn't take crap. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. Was that part of the calculation here that given the way that the House and the Senate interacted last session, that the House needed somebody who could stand up to Dan Patrick? Let me just come out and say it. Is you that know, part of what the calculation was here? That, that is definitely a piece of it, is we wanted somebody that stood up for the House that says, we're not going to be run over. We're going to be able to represent our constituents. And sometimes at our pace and because of the structures, those two don't always align the same way. But while you can, say, you can say stand up, I can also say stand up and also how can we work better together? How can we have more joint committees that actually produce something in the interim that when we come back in session, and I think that's obviously looking forward to the 87th, yeah. um, that we do from that aspect. But yes, we want somebody who is going to say, look, if, if there's a senator over there that is attacking a Jeff Leach or a Mary Gonzalez bill or a Diego Burnell, a Diego... Um, you know, that, that we're going to sit here and say, we're not going to take that. We're, we're, you know, that's not the way we're going to be treated. Now, if it's a bad bill, debate it on the floor and kill it in the Senate. And the same should go with the House. I would think Dan Patrick would expect the same thing from us. So the relationship between the House and the Senate is a factor in considering who might be Speaker and specifically it, it in the case definitely of Mr. One. Uh, Mr. It Bonham. was definitely one. And, you, you know, you talked about Dennis, and I've had the pleasure of serving two sessions uh, with him as my chairman of Ways and Means. And I can tell you there's very few people that have ever left that committee hearing not knowing exactly where they stood with Dennis. Yeah. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I've, I've been That at may the, be the understatement I've, of the century. Right? I've had Dennis uh, question a few of my comments to, to only turn around 10 minutes later and said that on a different issue, hey, that's a fantastic idea. We need to make sure that's there. Right. So once you... You made a mistake. He pointed out where he thought you made a mistake. You could continue to debate it if you wanted to. Right. But then he moves on to the next thing and how we can make Texas better. Yeah. Ms. Gonzalez, one of the things I heard from Democrats in the initial wave of Bonin mania was, you know, he voted for the Schaefer Amendment to SB4. And when the Democrats were deliberating about whether to pull down amendments and try to get a better deal and maybe the Schaefer Amendment goes away. It was Chairman Bonin who was dispatched to tell the Democrats, time's up, deal's off, and there were some hard feelings about that. I mean, there have been moments where that Bonin forthrightness has been perceived by some in your party, as expressed to me and others, as a bug and not a feature. Will you talk about his disposition and the degree to which his disposition is either a positive or a negative from your perspective? Um, so, Evan, let me tell you a little fact. Speaker races are really complex. <laughs> and, um, you know, when I talk about voting or voters, I really get really frustrated in Texas when, when voters are one-issue voters, right? And so while the Schaefer Amendment 
for example, and a lot of people know this, was really heartbreaking for me. Um, a lot of you saw me cry on the House floor over it. It was, for me, very dangerous to the state of Texas. Um, it wasn't also the only issue that we have to deal with here. We have to deal with school finance, and we have to deal with clean water, and we have to deal with a lot of other issues. And so, um, so yeah, so did we and Speaker Bonin agree on that issue? No. Uh, do I think that there are some other issues that he, we do agree on? Yes, specifically school finance. But when we're talking about disposition, here's what the last election showed us. The last election showed us that voters want authenticity and courage when it comes to elections. Like, look how many voters came out just because they were hearing some raw voices. And so what Speaker Bonin, while might be a little bit rough around the edges, kind of like me, I'm a little scrappy, um, he is also super authentic. You don't have to question where you stand. You, you know the truth. And at, right now, in this moment in time, when the House is healing from SB4, we need to know truth and courage and authenticity. Yeah, uh, Mr. Leach, same. You feel the same way that in the, in the, but one of the byproducts of the election is that he's the right guy for now, given the message that you all heard about, you know, no BS, let's just get to work and talk honest to one another and, and, move, th and move on. Yes, and going back to your, your question about the House and the Senate, Dennis Bonin will not miss a breakfast with Dan Patrick and Greg Abbott. The fact that last session those communications were cut off completely, in fact, um, I think it's understood among all the members that Dennis Bonin, when, when Speaker Strauss was either unwilling or didn't want to go for whatever reason or wasn't available to go talk to Senator Patrick, he sent Dennis Bonin. And, and I, that excites me. I think that, that the House and the Senate have got to come together next session. We've got big challenges. And if we don't come together, then, um, then our constituents are the ones who are going to. Do you take, Mr. Leach, do you take Mr. Bonin at his word when he's said in these early moments as the speaker presumptive that public education is job number one for this House and that that's where he wants the focus of members to be? No question. So we've heard that in previous sessions from speakers. Why should we believe him, this is no, said with no disrespect to him, but we, we've been told before public education is a priority only to get to the end of a session and discover, yeah, not so much. So why should we believe it this time? Because we had a, a pretty, as, as Republicans, we had a pretty loud, abrasive wake-up call three weeks ago. And he's hearing and, and tell, tell seeking. Tell me more. Tell me more on that. Seeking... <laughs> He, he is not just hearing. There's a difference between hearing the voices of your legislators, your yeah. members, and actively seeking the input of your legislators, your, the House members. Uh, Dennis Bonin is actively seeking the input from all 149 members of the Texas House, um, and he is hearing that public education in all our communities, all across this state, including my own, is the number one issue. Right. I've toured um, over the past year. I have been to nearly 50 public schools, every public school campus in my district. Right. I know Representative Bernal has done the same in his district. In fact, I got the idea from him and Representative Goldman. And uh, look, I don't think there's any disagreement here that public education and property tax reform, which goes hand in hand with that, are the number, the top issues next session. Right. But Mr. Leach, I remember, because I remember these kinds of things, not normal stuff, but details, that you were the only member of the Freedom Caucus to back Mr. Huberty's bill to put more money into public education in the House last time. Am I correct about that? I was. You were. Um, there are members of the Freedom Caucus who were reelected who may not have the same view of public education as the number one issue that you do. Is there going to be unanimity about this? It's going to take unanimity for this issue to really remain at the top of the agenda. 
those members, whether in the, they're in the Freedom Caucus or outside of it, need to do what other members have done and actually go into our public schools. Do you think they're not doing that? I'm not saying they're not doing that. In fact, I know members in the Freedom Caucus that are doing that, and I, and I commend them for that. But if, if you are, um, don't believe that public education is important and is, is one of the, the key, if not the keys, to the future of this state, then, um, then I think you're, you're missing the boat. Um, we have incredible teachers across this state who are pouring their hearts, their souls, their lives, uh, spending more time with kids who are not their own than their own kids at home. And we have an obligation to support them. Now, the answer, that, that's easy to say here. What the actual solution is is more of a complex and complicated discussion. But there's no question that uh, public education has got to be the centerpiece of our agenda next session. And I think it will be. Yeah. Ms. Gonzalez, you take, and Democrats take the sp uh, speaker presumptive at his word. And, Evan, that, if I yes. could just, let yeah, me just yeah. say, I do believe in my conversations with other Freedom Caucus members in the House that there is large-scale, uh, broad agreement, agreement on that on, issue. On that yes. subject. Democrats feel like they can take him at his word that this is the priority? Yes, and I, and I think, to, to, to Speaker Strauss's credit, I do think he really did try to get school finance with Jimmy Don Acock or with Chairman Huberty across the finish line. I mean, the battles between the House and the Senate really did break down the, the efforts for school finance and other public school reforms. But And, and this is why the... Um, Speak Chairman Bonin's administration will be different, right? Because I think if he's coming to the table and talking to the lieutenant governor and talking to the governor, then we're more likely to maybe actually see the results that we want in school finance. You know, it was just the icing on the cake. If you had been doing all the town halls and talking to all the people I had throughout my district, a rural conservative district, you knew that this was an issue. It was immensely higher than when I ran in 2012 as an issue. And so, Timing was a big portion of that as well. And I think the timing, I, I travel and I do many town halls with Charles Perry, also with Pat Fallon. I know those guys are hearing and seeing the same things. I know that they want to work to make sure that these things and that individual and that the senators may be telling the lieutenant governor the same thing that you're telling I, I th speak, I think Speaker exactly. Presumptive Bonin, and that it's time, it's time to get on with this. Um, Mr. Springer, you're a member of the Ways and Means Committee, as you said, last two yes. sessions. Uh, I, I can't help but notice that. That committee is going to need a new chairman. Do you know anybody? You know, there, there's maybe a lot an of early backer of the speaker, possibly. Do you know anybody you know, there, who might want to be there's chairman? There's a lot of good. There's a lot of good members, and I'll say this. And you know, uh, yes, it was Jeff and myself and, and and several others when we got together early. Yeah. It was never about hey, we want to be the ones that kick this off so we can get all the cool stuff. Peace. Right. Absolutely. But you no know, but you know how this, Mr. Springer, you know how this works. I know how it works. You did not no. just fall off a truck in Munster. I understand how this goes. Um, so you know the tax issue by virtue of being a member of the Ways and Means Committee, and what Representative Leach just said is undeniably true. Property tax reform and education reform are linked. Last session, even with Chairman Bonin in the lead, the House and the Senate could not come to any agreement on property tax reform. And then the governor came back and had a third plan. I mean, what are we going to do? Why, you know, this is going to come back. So what will a Bonin-led House do on this issue since he, too, knows that issue better than anybody? Yeah. No, I, we, we have absolutely, as, as much as we've heard about education, we've heard about property tax relief and reform. Mm -hmm. Reform is what we worked on last session. Um, we also have had a vote where it was 93% of my district voted for a 4% cap in the March primaries. And I can go down to Bell County that voted 94.78%. And I can run through all these that says, 
you know, the voters are saying, look, we want that final say because of where taxes are going. I absolutely think we need to reduce the M&O portion and have the state find other revenue sources that does a swap to be able to take care of that to get us at least a 50-50. Right. And I think we're going to see appraisals go up, so I'd rather go below that. So earlier today, we heard my colleague Ross Ramsey, and I don't think he was the only one, say that if you do what you just described and you swap out local property tax supporting education for more funding at the state level, what you're actually not doing is putting more money into public education. And that is part that it can be either or. And you're exactly right. You can do exactly the same thing and just reduce, have the state pick up a bigger portion yeah. of theirs and be able to do, do that. Do you have a sense of what Mr. Bonin is thinking on this issue? And would you share Absolutely. it with us right now, please? Sure. Yes. What's he thinking? He is thinking that the members of the House are going to figure out that solution and put it forward. <laughs> oh, my God. You got me. Um, look, the, the school, fin Mr. Mr. Springer, the School Finance Commission, maybe Elias Swaby will have better success with Bernal and Huberty getting them to tell you, but the School Finance Commission is about to reveal, do the big reveal on its thinking on this. You have a sense that Speaker Bonin is going to embrace the School Finance Commission's findings and just say this is going to be the policy of the House? Any reason to think that? You know, once again, I, I have not followed the commission's reports on theirs. You know, he is going to look for those leaders in the House, yeah. those who want to roll up their sleeve, to come up with what those solutions should be. Um, you know, I know from my conservative, when I talk to my constituents, they said, look, state and local is about $11,000 a kid, 20 kids a classroom, $220,000. How can we not pay a teacher over $75,000 and put a roof over their head? We are sitting here trying to figure out what are those solutions to come there. Have we put too much emphasis outside of the classroom? Right. Whether that's in other services uh, that were traditionally done either at the home or through other agencies, or have we put too much on to, to, acad or to athletics? We're going to have to have those conversations. L last point before I go to Ms. Gonzalez. It sounds to me like you are open to something akin to what was discussed at the end of last session, property tax reform that would involve a tripwire for local folks to say grace over any attempt to increase property taxes above a certain point, whether it's six or four. I do, and I think that You're it's there. gotta be smart smart legislation. And I think that means there has to be carve-outs. There has to be right. things that that aren't automatics that don't just trip these up. That you know the counties and the cities have to continue to be able to run. Right. Uh, I have counties that if diesel fuel goes from $2 to $4, we'll see a 12% increase in their budget just because that's the way of life in rural Nature of your district. Texas. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. And so, you know, we had, and I would say Dennis fought for rural Texas in those and had us put those amendments and those changes to the Senate bill when it came over. Right. Ms. Gonzalez, are you confident that under Speaker Bonin that the property tax issue will be resolved, first of all, and second of all, resolved in a way that you can get behind? I forgot my crystal ball today, Evan. Oh, come on. <laughs> Look, here's what I do know. I trust, here's what I do trust. I trust that Speaker Bonin is going to listen to all the members. I think that he's going to put people in leadership positions who are the experts in their areas. And it's not going to be based on just because they, in a hierarchy that they should always be there because they have been there. And I think that when you put the smartest people in the room, Republicans and Democrats, you get good outcomes. And so I am... I, here's what I do trust. I trust it'll be a fair process. Yep. I trust that we'll be able to hear from members. And, and to be honest, 
To, okay, if I'm brutally honest, I have no idea. But um, well, but, do you have but, an idea? But, okay, but, if but, you don't but, have an idea what but, he but, thinks, do you have an idea what you think? But, but do you have an idea how you feel about this issue? Tell us that. I do feel confident. I do feel confident that there's going to be a fair process, and in that alone, in that alone is a huge shift. And I think that will encourage and empower members to to really wrap around trying to get to a solution as opposed to just fighting solution. Mr. Leach, I know your mayor, the mayor of Plano. He's a rock star. Of among local electeds. Um, he's not going to let you all constrain him in his ability to do what he needs to do to serve his constituents. So is, isn't he going to come back to you the same way that local elected officials came back to you the last time and said, watch out when you mess with this, you make it harder for us to do what we need to do for our folks? Well, my hope would be that uh, that my friend Mayor LaRosselier from Plano and every mayor um, from the thousands of Texas cities and every single county judge across this state would come to, with, to the legislature with, a, with an open mind and a willing heart to work collaboratively to find solutions for our constituents. If, if, if my mayor or any other mayor comes down and says this is what we want and anything less or more than this is not acceptable to us, well, that's not how the legislature works. Uh, we've got to work together to meet the needs of our constituents and I think I can say with almost absolute certainty that all across this state, Republicans, Democrats, people of all political stripes, urban, rural, are, are calling out for property tax relief and for school finance reform. And so it's the legislature's responsibility to work collaboratively with our mayors and our city councils and county commissioners and county judges to find solutions, not to fight against each other but to work together. And Speaker Bonden will listen to those folks in the same way that Speaker Strauss did, and the outcome will be the outcome. I think it'll be differently than Speaker Strauss did. I do. How's I, that? Well, because I think personnel matters, as, as Drew and Mary were saying. Uh, putting the right people on the right committees in the right leadership positions is important. Fresh, a fresh wave of leadership in the Texas House, I think, will be good for us. And well, the voters took care of that to some degree, well, right? But, well, but let me put it, in 2015, there was a member, newly elected member, who was clearly antagonistic to the speaker from Dallas that was appointed to the Ag and Livestock Committee. This member doesn't have a single cow in his district or horse or farmer or rancher. And it was clearly he was put on that committee to punish him, to backbench him, to silence him. And that's wrong. That's wrong and for you a think Democrat. That, you think that will not happen under this speaker? I, 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 yeah, I think it won't happen under this speaker. My hope is that it won't happen because that member was clearly elected by his constituents. He's skilled. He's talented. He's smart. He could have been used in another form or fashion and, and, and on another committee. And, yeah, I think that's wrong. And we ought to call it like we see it. Ms. Gonzalez, uh, Chairman Bonin, among the other issues that he seems to know very well and has had a history of weighing in on specifically, is border security. My favorite topic. You come from El Paso. You know border security up close and personal. You also know that often when people in the legislature are asked, where are you going to find the money to put into public education if you need to put more money into public ed and you're not willing to raise revenue, one of the first places they turn is the $800 million appropriation for border security that's occurred in two consecutive budgets if the issue is legitimately a federal issue, then let's hand it off to the federal government. You and the speaker are going to be able to find, and Democrats and the speaker, common purpose on that issue, do you think? Where will he be on that issue? I was fortunate enough to be on the Democratic committee to interview the speaker candidates. And one of the things I talked about to every candidate was, we live in a different time when it comes to immigration and border security. We, um, in my district, for those of you who don't know, is a Tornillo tent city. Right now where there's 2,300 kids living in tents um, outside. 
right? Um, this is a very serious and personal issue to my heart. I think it is, we're the only country in the world that incarcerates children, incarcerates children for immigration status. So I take this issue extremely passionately. Uh, I, we spend so much money when the federal government is doing so much already when this issue, time and time again we've spoken out against it. Here's what I do think. I think that, again, I'm, I'm not going to come up here and say that Speaker Bonin's going to do all the democratic things we want him to do. I, what, I, what I do think is that he is going to let us, two things, he's going to let us try to rebuild this and maybe in a different way. But, but second, I don't think he's going to silence our voices. Here's one of the things that I'm excited about. I do think for the last four years, as vice chair of the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus, our caucus has been positioned to only be the fighters. And I love being a fighter, but in some ways it's dehumanizing to me as a legislator if my only role is to fight, because I'm elected to also build, right? And so the difference is, is while I might not win this battle, but I'm gonna try really hard, I also feel that I can build things for my district, and so that in itself will create a balance. Will we still fight on border security? Yes. Am I gonna say he's going to fix it? I have no earthly clue. Do I have hope that I'm, do I know that I'm still gonna fight it? Hell yeah. So I can't predict what's gonna happen next session. All I can know is I'm gonna fight it, I have faith he's gonna listen, and we're hopefully gonna come in the And middle. being on his team doesn't remove the ability to fight him tooth and nail on an issue like that from your arsenal, right? You are, you are absolutely prepared to fight with him even if you're on his team now, tomorrow's another day. Evan, there are 2,000 kids living in tents in my district. I, if he can't understand that I'm gonna fight for children, then, then, then no, I, don't, I mean, I don't think anyone would fault, fault me for fighting for my district, and I think he knows that. Okay, we're gonna take questions from you all in, in a moment here, so please line up at the mics. Let me ask each of you, Mr. Springer, Mr. Leach, Ms. Gonzalez, we have not heard a ton from Mr. Bonin about what he intends to do, and that's probably not that surprising. This is the time to talk to members of the House, get your ducks in a row, get the caucus vote over with, get the January 8th vote over with, and then presumably he'll be something of a public figure. Even at the end of his 10 years as Speaker, Speaker Strauss's name ID was pretty low out in the main. Likely that same will be the case for Speaker Bonin, but he does have to emerge and talk a bit about his priorities. We know public education is something that he has identified as a core issue. I want each of you to tell me something else from your sense of him that we should be looking for as an issue in his administration. Springer Leach Gonzalez. Mr. Springer. You know, I think where he is in this, and it is, it's sort of that limbo time, the way we have things, you could be presumptuous. Yes, I've got 109 signatures, I've got this. Many others have probably already come over uh, from this stage. And so he's saying, I want to be focused internally. I fully expect come January 9th through uh, the next two years thereafter, uh, Chairman Bonham will be very accessible and in public speaking. But once again, Chairman has said, what is important for the members? What do the members want to work on? Uh, you know, in my conversations with uh, Chairman, it's always been, what are the core functions of government? Are we going to do those right? That's education, that's transportation, that's infrastructure, that's security. We've got to do those and focus on those. And I, and, and I feel the best, this one, which is, hey, we need to do those. We've heard that we've been off in the weeds, dealing with other things that 
that aren't as important because we have not done our bricks to be messing with the mortar. So that sounds like a non-specific answer at first blush, which is fine, but actually I hear in it the germ of a specific answer. When you say that Speaker Bonin is talking about core priorities, what that tells me is we're not likely to see legislation about bathroom access. We're not likely to see vouchers. We're not likely to see things that don't qualify as meat and potatoes issues that advance the ability of the state to be competitive in the 21st century. We will have those conversations about all those items, pro-life, Second Amendment, all those different type of ones, but they are definitely not going to be anywhere near the top of the things we're you, going to you be You think that they'll on. be secondary. Well, that's actually quite a specific answer. You think and, they'll and be secondary on, on less priorities. Absolutely. I think if, if anybody has listened to their constituents over the last three months. They right. realized that yeah. they want us to focus and get these right. Mr. Let's get back yeah. to showing you can run the state and keep the state the best place it is. Mr. Leach, you and your guys going to stand for that? If, if those types of issues are put in a, in a timeout or put in a second tier, Freedom be, Caucus guy is going to stand for that? Be more specific. Well, I heard, I mean, I'll just... Be, I'll, I'll attach myself to Mr. Springer's comments. If, if Second Amendment issues or issues related to life, reproductive health, what have you, are put in a second tier to things like education, infrastructure, workforce, and all that, which is what I think Mr. Springer is suggesting, will you and your folks in the Freedom Caucus stand for that? Well, I, look, I don't, I don't think it's any secret, and I, I'm not going to try to create a smokescreen. I mean, the, the life issue is an incredibly important um, incredibly important to me, and that's not just um, pre-life, pre, you know, pre-born babies. That's all the way from the womb to the tomb. Uh, Representative Springer led the bipartisan charge last session on the um, on the the Charlie um, Charlie's law. Yeah, Charlie's law, uh, which is a great piece of legislation relating to stem cell therapy and um, is saving lives. Uh, those are issues that I think we need to focus on. Yeah. Um, Second Amendment issues, I'm sure that will be an issue. School safety, I think, will be a huge issue. I was actually going to mention to your question, what issues are we not talking about that will be issues? School I think, safety? I think there's two. School safety will be and should be a big issue, and also criminal justice reform. Um, right. Criminal justice reform right now, for all of the divisiveness and the, the, the fights in this country, one of the really great, cool things happening is Republicans and Democrats coming together on criminal justice reform. It's a legitimately bipartisan issue an in an era without very many. If you're looking right? for silver lining and hope in this country where where people from different parts of the political spectrum and different parts of the state can come together, criminal justice reform is your answer. Some really awesome right. things happening. And your colleague Mr. Kraus, your colleague Mr. Kraus was in fact at the White House yesterday. That's right. That's on, right. On this issue where the former head of the Textbook Policy Foundation Brooke Rollins appears to be getting a bump up within the uh, Trump administration and possibly will have even greater purview over these types of issues. And that issue may even become more of a national issue that Texas aligns itself with. That's right. right. And, and let me just say, as a pro-life um, conservative, I believe that criminal justice reform is and should be a pro-life issue. Because right now, the state of Texas is robbing life from Texans by keeping them behind bars because we're mad at them when they could be restored and reformed and rejuvenated and could be productive, tax-paying citizens of this state. And we have an obligation, and I think a great opportunity in this state, to get these people back on their feet and to save their lives. You sound like a chairman of criminal well, jurisprudence, no, actually. No. Representative Moody about is to say, Joe, about, Joe, Joe Moody might have something to say about that. Uh, Ms. Gonzalez, say marijuana. 
what? Is it marijuana? Is marijuana your answer to something that we're not talking about that we should be talking about? No, I want to say special education. <laughs> I'm not going to say marijuana. Um, okay. so look, it, the last month, the, the fifth court of appeals came out and said that Texas had really messed up when it came to special education funding. Uh, we know that, and we this has been an issue for years. And so like, yesterday, I talked to Speaker Bo Chairman Bonin, and I said, um, did you know I'm the oldest of 11? My youngest sister has Down syndrome. And I'm very passionate about special education. And I told him a little bit about what was going on. He's like, we need to talk more about that. So I'm glad that he was really receptive to that. I think that this session will see some, some transformative changes when it comes to special education funding. Good. I don't know about you, but I feel significantly more informed about the Bonnet administration as a result of these whisperers. Please thank Representatives Gonzalez, Leach, and Springer. You've been listening to a preview of the Point of Order podcast, a conversation with the Bonin Whisperers, recorded live on November 29th, 2018, as part of the Tribune's day-long preview of the 86th legislative session. If you like what you heard, tell your friends about us. Point of Order will launch formally in January. And as we head into the new year, be sure to check out our deep coverage of politics and public policy at our website, texastribune.org. For the Texas Tribune... I'm Evan Smith.